quite a privilege to be able to bring them messages today in Pastor Dan's absence. Uh, we're slowly working through the book of James. I look back and uh, it's only been five years. <laughs> you thought he was slow. In 2012 is when I started this. So we might get done someday. Finished. <clears throat> it's a great book though. I think we should read it a little slower sometimes. Because it really hits us between the eyes, most of it. <clears throat> in Charles Colson's book, The Body, there's a chapter entitled, Extending the Right Fist of Fellowship. It is built around the event that took place in the Emmanuel Baptist Church, blame it on the Baptist, in Newton, Massachusetts. When a <clears throat> church conflict actually broke out in a fist fight at the altar of the church. Here's what Colson's description of that incident. It was the right hook that got him. Pastor Waite might have stood in front of the communion table uh, trading punches with the head deacon Ray Bryson all morning had not Ray's fist caught him on the chin two minutes and 15 seconds into the fight. Pastor Waite went down for the count at the altar when most members of the Emmanuel Baptist Church, where most members of the Baptist Church, had first declared their commitment to Jesus. Within an instant, the majority of the congregation converged on the communion table, punching and shoving, and the fight soon spilled over into the open space beside the organ. Mary Dowell, the director of the Dorcas Society, through a hymnal, the missile sailed high and wide and splashed down into the baptistry behind the choir. When Ray's right hook finally took the pastor down, someone grabbed a spring flower arrangement from the altar and threw it high into the air in Ray's direction. Water sprinkled everyone in the first two rows on the right side, and a visiting Presbyterian experienced complete immersion when the, when the vase shattered against the wall next to his seat. The fight ended when the police arrived on the scene. <clears throat> Conflicts, <laughs> quarreling, fighting. It's uh, really nothing unique or something unique to our generation. Uh, there's always been conflicts among God's people, sad to say. And uh, James obviously had first-hand knowledge of such dissension among believers to which the right to which he writes to these folks here in James. So we're going to take a look at that, what he says here, and just these three short verses, chapter uh, four of James. Uh, verses 1 through 3. Would you please stand for the reading of God's Word? Chapter 4, 1 through 3. Whoops. What is the source of quarrels and conflicts among you? Is not the source your pleasures that wage war in your members? You lust and do not have, so you commit murder. And you are envious and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask with the wrong motives so that you're, that you may spend it 
on your pleasures. Let's pray. Father, we do thank you for your word. We don't like what it says sometimes, Lord. But it's still there, and it's coming from you, as it's not coming from me this morning. I just pray, God, that we're opened. How does this apply to us? And it seems like a pretty peaceful church here we have, Lord. Does this apply to us? I'm sure we'll find something, God, that speaks to our heart. Because you love us so much that you'll speak to each and every person right here today in an area that you want to talk to them about. Just, we pray that our hearts are open, our minds are open, and God will hear what you have to say. Just speak through me, Lord, that's all I'm asking, in Jesus' name, amen. amen. Please be seated, folks. <clears throat> so in just these three short verses here, we see Jesus, James here, he brings us face-to-face with uh, three problems that plagued the Christians of his day. In the church of his day some 2,000 years ago. But uh, to be honest, the church of today still is are still plagued with those same problems. Problem number one. <clears throat> if you got an outline there, you might want to check it out. Quarrels, fighting, and conflicts within the body of believers. That's a problem. Have you ever uh, witnessed this problem in a church that you attended perhaps in the past? Uh, maybe that's why you're here today. You uh, had some problems in the last church you were in. So there was a little conflict, a little irritant things, and you just say, I don't need it. I'm out of here. It happens all the time. I heard nothing good but good things about the meetings we have here, and we pray they'll always stay that way. I've been to a few of them. Uh, I remember a time, though, years ago, the church that I attended after I came to the Lord, and uh, they told me there's a, a, a certain person that wasn't there anymore. He used to be on the board. But he said, uh, in fact, his wife told me that he won't come back to church. Uh, he, she said that, uh, in fact, he hasn't went to church as far as I know up to this day, and that's been about 30 years ago. So uh, because in that meetings, there just was so much conflicts, he says, I couldn't take it. And he not only stepped out of the board, he stepped out of the church. For as I know, for quite a while, if, if not still to date. <clears throat> you see, James is, uh, is not talking about conflicts and wars among nations or among con- con- countries or even among non-Christians. He's speaking of fights and quarrels among Christians. As you notice in chapter 3, verse 10, he says, My brethren, and you remember he wrote this letter to the twelve tribes who were scattered abroad, They were all Christians. He's tried to talk to them person to person. Send this letter out. He says, i got a few things I want to talk to them about. What a sorry sight, though, to the world around us to see a fighting among believers. It's a poor witness, I believe. It ruins our effectiveness for Christ. When I used to go door to door and uh, to start a couple of churches, one LaGrande, one California, and other places, and down at Rice, too. I ran across a lot of people, a lot of Christians, and I mean they had pretty good testimonies that were not attending any church anymore. Uh, You probably know a few of them yourself. It's pretty easy to see. Is it possible, folks, that they're not attending because of fights and quarrels 
They they experienced in the last church they attended. Well, while I was pastoring at Rice Church over here by the by the uh, water by the uh, river, I called on a man. uh, Several of them in those days, but I called on this particular guy. Great guy. He was just a great guy. Real catchy personality he had. And as my my uh, habit was, I invited him to church. And he kind of looked me in the eye. A real friendly guy. He's really nice. And uh, he says, I belong to the odd fellows right down there. Uh, and they pointed to the building where they meet. He says, we meet once a week. And he says, we get along great. He says, but he says, why would I want to attend your church? All I hear about is fighting from them. That's a sad. That's sad. And conflicts and fighting among those people in that church. <clears throat> it's too bad. It's really too bad. Uh, you see, folks, uh, the non-Christians are, are watches, the religious conflicts, and they say, behold, how they hate one another, rather than behold, how they love one another. And John, uh, James 3.10, James says, from the same mouth come both both blessing and cursing. My brethren, these things ought not to be this way, he said. Folks, I don't know about you, and I don't need to tell you, really. But uh, we live in a very discontented world today. We hear it all the time. From the people we work with. Uh, from the people who live across the street. Uh, down the road a ways in our neighborhood. Ones we do business with. Discontented. Uh, never seem to be satisfied with what they already have. They want more. or They want better. A nicer home. Or a bigger one. A fancier car or a fancier pickup. A nicer furniture, more toys, more possessions, more, more, more. Discontentment with spouses lead to affairs and then divorce. And sad to say, this disease is contagious. Christians are not immune to it. It seeps into the church. James says, your desires are at battle within you. NIV puts it this verse 1. There's a deeper problem here when we find ourselves lashing out at the people around us. This outward problem of conflicts and fighting is really an inward problem, is what he's saying here. Maybe in a church we want more recognition, whatever it is, it's an ego problem. Uh, I don't, I, have you ever wondered or is it just me that uh, the reason you latch out at someone, uh, someone you love, a wife, a spouse, or whoever, and they really were not the problem? Have you ever come across that? But it was something that was eating at your insides. There was an inward problem here causing an outward conflict that uh, led to an outburst of anger. Am I the only one that that happens to it not only happens in the homes, though, it happens in the churches. Sad to say, like I said, discontentment internally can cause conflicts externally. Uh, the in, internal discomfort can rob us of the peace that Christ gave us when we surrendered our life to him. Verse 2 says, you lust and do not have. You want things, but you cannot have them. 
Lust here means to long for or to set one's heart or desire upon something or someone. Sometimes it's translated as coveting, a strong desire to possess, which uh, fills us with jealousy and envy within. It's important to make the connection between James chapter 3 and James 4. In 3.16, James says, For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there's disorder and every evil thing. A dissatisfied heart is never at peace with God or with man. A thirst for more can destroy our thirst for the things of God. Jesus said, whoever drinks of this water shall thirst again. Satisfaction that the things of this world offers is like a mirage, really. It seems to be within reach, but instead it's always out of reach, leaving us frustrated, irritated, fighting among ourselves. Uh, These pleasures, as James says in verse 1, never give full satisfaction. The more we have, the more we want. James even goes as far as to say that these uncontrolled desires and passions can even lead to murder. Really? Murder among believers. It's hard for us to comprehend that. Some people have tried to water that down, but that's what it says. Murder actually taking place in a church fellowship. But history... It's proved this strong desires and lust can actually often lead to murder. As you recall, King David murdered Uriah, a fellow Israelite, uh, because of his lust for Uriah's wife, Bathsheba. Remember it in 2 Samuel 11? And as far as, far as I could figure out when I went back and searched that, searched that portion of scripture, David, King David already had it two wives, and they said he could have as many as 18 before he died. But he had two wives at this time. I know him, Michael, Saul's daughter. Remember, he gave it to, gave it to her to David to be his wife. And then Abigail, it said of her that she was very intellectual and beautiful. But that wasn't enough for David. And he had Uriah killed. And what about King Ahab, uh, who murdered Naboth because of his lust for a vineyard that Naboth had. He asked Naboth to give it to him, but he wouldn't. He'd say he'd pay for it, but he wouldn't, so he's sulking around you. You remember the story? Jezebel, his wife. So what's the matter with you? This is my version. You won't see that. And uh, I don't want you to misquote me here. It, uh, what's the matter with you? He's moping around here. And she says, he said, well, he says, I want that vineyard out there, and Naboth won't give it to me or won't sell it to me. Hey, you're the king, aren't you? She says. And uh, take it. And sure enough, he did. He had her mur- murdered. He said, that's the best way to get this guy out of the way. Neighbor. So he murdered him. Therefore, it's true then. Frustrated, uncontrolled desires can lead to conflicts, fighting, even murder. Remember what, God's, <clears throat> what God said to Cain just before he murdered his brother? Have you ever looked at that? I mean, Genesis chapter 4, I've highlighted this verse. He says, Cain, he says, sin is crouching at your door. You're right there. 
You see, he warned him. Don't do it. He warned him beforehand. God will always, folks, God will always warn us before it becomes an uncontrolled desire. It was jealousy that drove Cain to kill his brother Abel. The next problem that James <clears throat> addresses here in these three verses is problem number two, failure to take those desires to God. You do not have because you do not ask, he says. Simple as that. You don't ask God. Of course, you know, you start looking back at King Ahab and King David. They knew better than to ask God. Hey, maybe that's why James put it here, huh? They, they wouldn't ask God. They knew it was to be wrong. Take another man's wife, take this guy's vineyard, you know. So, <clears throat> failure to talk to God about those desires. <clears throat> We do everything but pray about those desires we have. And why not? Why don't we pray? Instead of turning to God as the giver of every perfect gift that comes from above, James 1.17 says, we try to get what we want through our own self-effort, which undermines the practice of prayer, really. But after all, haven't we been raised to think the old saying, God helps him who helps himself. But show me the chapter and verse on that one. That was the saying I was raised on. God helps him. So even Christians are often tempted to try to get things that they want without asking God. But James is calling us back to the basics of Christianity. God has opened up to us direct communication to God himself through his son Jesus. Amazing, isn't it? Just through his son, we can go directly to the throne of grace, the Bible says. And didn't Jesus say, Ask and it shall be given to you, seek and you shall find, knock and it shall be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, he who seeks finds, and to him who knocks it shall be opened. Sure he said that. In Matthew 7, 7 7 and 8. Times, many times, folks, we go without what God longs to give us simply because we do not ask. We don't ask. I've always been fascinated with this little story back here with, with uh, David in, in 2 Samuel. You recall the story, uh, Nathan the prophet or priest uh, comes to David and he gives him, he tells him a little story and he rebukes David for his sin with Bathsheba. And here's what he says here in 2 Samuel chapter 12. And I'm going to pick it up here at uh, verse 7. Nathan said to David, you are the man. You're the man that I'm talking about here. Thus says the Lord God, he says of Israel. It is I, and this is God speaking. It is I who anointed you king over Israel. It is I who delivered you from the hand of Saul. I also gave you your master's house and your master's wives into your care. And I gave you the house of Israel and Judah. And if that, I like this, and if that had not, excuse me, if that had been too little, I would have added to you many more things like these. He says, hey guys, wide open to you. Why have you despised the word of the Lord by doing evil in his sight? You have struck down Uriah the Hittite with the sword and have taken his wife to be your wife and have killed him with the sword of the sons of Ammon. 
If that had not been enough, David, I would have given you more. All you had to do is ask. So, there we are. Are you in the habit of praying for that desire, desire of your heart? Asking God for it. Psalm 37, 4 and 5. Delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. Here's the catch. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust also in him and he will do it. Now what about those unanswered prayers? We've had them. I think I'm not the only one that's had unanswered prayers. We, we run across that all the time. What about it? Could it be? Problem number three here. Asking God when our motives are wrong. Asking God when our motives are wrong. Look at that verse 3 again. You ask, James says, and do not receive because you ask with the wrong motives so that you may spend it on your pleasures. James is just asking his readers to examine their motives for asking. Is it possible that the reason some of our prayers go unanswered is because our motives are just plain wrong? Many times, we don't get what we ask for simply because we ask selfishly. That we may use those things that we've asked for for our own selfish pleasures. Nothing exposes wrong motives faster, folks, than prayer. Nothing exposes wrong motives faster than prayer. Go to the Lord about it. I say, oh, I should never ask. That's stupid. I asked for this. You know, wrong motives. These Christians that James is writing to apparently had set their sights on the material things of life. They were jealous, they were envious, he says in verse 2, of the fellow Christians who had more and better than they had. Sound familiar? It could. Their desires for these things led to all kinds of fights and quarrels and conflicts. Of course, They had swallowed the lie that these material things in this life would bring them contentment. If you always wonder about that, check out uh, Solomon's writings in uh, Ecclesiastes. He had about everything you could ask for and then some. And he was never happy because of things he set his sight on, things under the sun. But let it be a warning to us, folks, that even after we have been saved, we can place a wrong value on material things. Many times God doesn't give us what we want simply because he knows <clears throat> that it's not in our best of our uh, liking, best for us. We need to bring him much. We need to bring it to the Lord. And he, he doesn't give us a lot of things because he knows it's not going to get us closer to him, which is his goal. In fact, it could drive a wedge between us and him in our relationship with him if he was to grant our request. <clears throat> Plus, he knows the purpose behind our asking. He can look right down into our hearts, which is good, but it can be bad. He can see the motive behind our request. Have you ever thanked God that he did not grant you some request that was on your heart when you look back? And it wouldn't be the best for you. A wise parent won't let their child have something that will harm him or her, even if they beg for it. 
<clears throat> when we pray for things that God knows that will harm us or our relationship with him, he purposely, out of love for us, withholds those requests. A portion, This portion of scripture that we look at today, as I was telling Lou when I was looking at it, <clears throat> could be viewed as quite negative, really. Except for the fact, and I believe this, that James' admonishment, his rebuke, was to, his purpose behind it was to reconcile his fellow believers to Christ, to bring them back. <clears throat> he wanted his readers to recognize the reason for their discontentment that led to quarrels and conflicts and fighting with each other was because their heart was not right with God. It was an inward problem that needed God's perspective. So they needed to talk to God about those sins of lust, envy, coveting, those wrong motives behind the conflicts. We all need, folks, we all need a James in our life, don't we? They're not, he's, who's not afraid to confront us when we're wrong. You look back in this book of James, I tell you, he comes down hard on his fellow believers. You know, chapter one, you remember, he says, you're tempted. God doesn't tempt you. He says, you're tempting carried away by your own lust. It's your fault that you're fallen to temptation. And also he said, be in that same chapter one, he says, be quick to hear, slow to speak and slow to anger. Not the other way around, he says. Don't be too quick to speak and quick to anger. Be quick to hear. Chapter 2, he talks about the partiality of sin. That partiality, excuse me, is sin. We never, perhaps we never thought about that, being partial to one person over another person. But he says it's sin. He didn't candy coat it. Uh, he also said faith in Christ without works is dead faith. We might say, well, we have faith in Jesus. Don't get on my case. Yeah, prove it by your deeds, by your works, by what you do. Follow, should follow through something like that. When you put your trust in Christ. Chapter 3. He speaks of the sins of the tongue. We need not say too much about that. It pretty well hits all of us. And he says no one can tame the tongue. And of course God can. If we surrender to him. So he's coming again here on chapter 4. Fights and quarrels among believers. is sin. And I have a feeling he's not finished. Most of us have read the rest of the book. And I know the rest of the story. You have such a friend like that? A friend that uh, who points out your shortcomings at the risk of losing your friendship? Uh, probably the first sign when someone hits you with something is you get angry. Uh, that means they hit a nerve. I'll tell you right now. Uh, we need friends like James. Better is open and rebuke than love that is concealed. The song, uh, Proverbs 27, 5 says, Better is open and rebuke than love that is concealed. I love you so much, I'm going to let you continue to do what you're doing, even though it's wrong. Or I love you so much, I'm going to tell you. At the risk of you saying, who do you think you are? You know, first thing they do is attack you. Because you have some shortcomings. And uh, that's a sign you probably hit a hard one. But we need a friend like that. Who look us in the eye and say, you got to knock that off as a Christian. Get your act together, my friend. I'm just telling this for your benefit. Then it's time.
to talk to God about that conviction when you're ready to talk to him. And start by getting a right relationship with other people. That's where you start. Remember 1 Peter 3, 7, where uh, it talks to the husbands about uh, treating their wives in an understanding way. And he says, you better do it, Peter says, or your prayers will be hindered. Get the right relationship. And then Jesus said in Matthew 5, 22, anyone who's angry with his brother will be subject to judgment. Hmm. We have to have a right relationship with one another. And if you're not in a right relationship with others, when you do come to prayer, tell I'll tell you right now, your prayers are just bouncing off the ceiling. I know. I've been there. You know, they're not going anywhere until you get right with that other person. Then, when it's time to pray, there's some steps of praying. Pretty simple. The Bible backs these up. Proper prayer begins with asking in the name of Jesus. Pretty basic. That's why you hear Christians or why we get in the habit. It can be good. We pray in, in Jesus' name. John 16, 24, Jesus said, Until now, he said, you have not asked nothing in my name. And that's true. Until Jesus came, they just prayed to God, you know. But now you go through Jesus, he said. Secondly, asking in faith. James 1, 6 says, Ask in faith without any doubting. For the one who doubts is like the surf of the sea, driven and tossed by the wind. Let not that man expect to receive anything from the Lord, being a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. Ask in faith. Number three. Ask according to God's will. Now, that gets a little tricky. 1 John 5.14, it says, John says, if you, we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. He hears us. Like I say, do you remember Jesus' prayer? I've always been fascinated. Maybe it didn't grab you. But always fascinating when Jesus went to the Garden of Gethsemane and he prayed. The words, three times, not my will, but thine be done. Now work, let your imagination run a little bit. Don't crucify me for this one. But here's what I like, is that I think Jesus, he come to that garden, and he's only 33 years old, pretty young. Here's what I think. I think he says, you know, Father, I've walked by some of those crucifixions. Boy, they could hurt. They're really painful when I see those guys hanging on the cross. Are you sure that's the way you want me to go? Or maybe he says, maybe he's thought, you know, these guys I've been hanging around with, they're a great bunch of guys. We have a great time. We just laugh and about all kinds of things and, and they listen real good to me. And uh, I just really enjoy their company. And you know, Father, I'm not sure they really get a hold of this whole thing, what they're supposed to do after I'm done. Let's talk about it. Now, it didn't say that in your Bible or mine. But what was his will compared to the Father's will? And then he said, not mine, but thine. I'll yield to your will. That's what we have to do. Yield to the Lord's will when we come to him, when we ask. And fourthly, asking God to expose any unconfessed sin in our lives. And that's as we sang this morning, search me, O Lord. Know my heart. But Psalm 66, 18, you might have it highlighted in your Bible, I do. If I 
If I regard wickedness in my heart, God, the Lord does not hear. And Isaiah 59, 2, don't pass that one up. It's many times we pass it up. Your sins have hidden his face from you so that he does not hear. We all want God to hear our prayers. But quarrels and fighting among believers, outward sin, lust, envy, that James talks about wrong motives in verse 3, inward sins that go unconfessed will keep God from hearing our prayers. It's a fact. We cannot have fellowship with a holy God, a God of light, where we have unconfessed sins in our hearts. John, First John 1, 6 says, if we say, and he's not writing to non-believers here, folks. He says, if we say we have fellowship with God and yet we work in the dark, walk in the darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth, is what he's saying. We're calling a liar. We say we have fellowship with a God of light and we walk in the darkness. When sin has put us in the darkness, God is light, it says, and there's no darkness at all in him. We must step into the light. Our job is simple. He's left it wide open to us. Confess that sin, he says. Confess means agree with me. You come to God and you say, Lord, I shouldn't have done that. I shouldn't have said that. You know my heart, you know, you know. I know what he says. When you... What have you been waiting for? You know, come and tell me about it. He says, I agree. We confess it. And God would do his part. He says he will forgive us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us. Cleanse us from all, A-L-L, all unrighteousness. Praise the Lord for that promise. What a promise we have there. Now, what about this John, Psalm 37, 4 and 5? God wanting to give us the desires of our heart. I once read about a Christian who, when he asked God for something in prayer, he told God why he wanted it, and he told God how he intended to use it. And I'm going to tell you about a true story that actually happened to me. Years ago, excuse me, our family was uh, camping, camping at uh, Priest River, Idaho. I'm sure most of you know where that is, or Priest Lake, actually. It was camping at the lake. And one dark evening, and I walked down the beach. It was getting late. I walked down the beach, and and I just kind of looking at the calm. The water was real calm that night. And over to my left-hand side, there was a man standing there swinging a lantern. He just had a lantern, you know. So I walked over and I asked him what he was doing. And he says, well, he says, I, I, my son this morning decided he would take the canoe and go up to the upper priest and he'll be back soon. Sounded like he left in the afternoon. He said it was early and nice long days, long evenings. He is not back yet, he says. And uh, he was hoping that his son could see the lantern because the canoe didn't have lights on it, you know. So, so anyway, uh, I says, well, uh, he said, I was beginning, I'm beginning to get quite worried, and it was obvious by talking to him. So I says, I'll tell you what I'll do. I'll go down here on the beach, and I'll look for someone with a boat, who maybe we could take us out into the water, and uh, we'll look for your boy. And so the first place I came to it was a camper, a, a pickup with a camper on the back, and right down below it, or below that, was a boat, a nice boat. 
And so I knocked at the door, and I told the guy uh, about the situation here. I said, this, this guy's looking for his boy. boy. He's been out for quite a while. He's an 18-year-old boy, but he says he's getting kind of worried. So he said, sure. He says, let me grab a shirt or something. I can't remember what he said. And, and he came right out. Start up, well, push the boat out in the water, these three of us. And, uh, and, and we got in that boat and we started going out in the water and, and searching for the boy. He had a nice big spotlight. I remember that. And while we were out there, the owner of the boat told me that he always wanted a boat. He says, I've always wanted a boat, but he said, uh, I felt selfish asking the Lord for a boat. Uh, and he says, I just didn't feel good about making that request to God. So he told God, he says, I tell him God that, that if he would let grant him his request of having a boat, he said, I would use that boat for whenever and whatever God wanted him to use it for any purpose. And he says, that's why I was so quick to respond when you knocked at the door. Now, and I, I appreciated that. I, I was, I was saved. I knew the Lord. And, and obviously this guy he had a pretty good witness himself. But the other guy was really listening to us, you know, as he was holding the light looking for his boy. And uh, you never know who's listening. And anyway, we found the boy, Vine, and, and uh, the kid was a typical 18-year-old response. No, you don't need to look for me. I'm fine, you know. <laughs> Pitch dark out there. And uh, kind of got, the, the, got on the old man's case a little bit. Went in front of it. And, and the boy was embarrassed, obviously. But uh, what can we do with uh, our desires? Uh, if our motives are pure, what could we do? I mean, we could use this guy as an example. Uh, when we ask and we commit our ways to the Lord, as the psalmist says, maybe that desire can be used to reach someone for Jesus Christ. Wouldn't that be something? Even a boat. <laughs> Amazing. I want to sing a song here that <clears throat> I think I can make it. It's, uh, it's called It's My Desire. But what I'd like you to do, think about the words and make it your desire perhaps. Here's what the words say. It's my desire to live for Jesus. It's my desire to live just like him. Uh, Though often I have failed and I brought him much shame, it's my desire to live for him. Second verse. It's my desire to help someone today, someone who may have failed to see the way. Isn't that what this James is saying here? I'm trying to help you, friend. Uh, I too was once so lost. Isn't that what the father said of the prodigal son? Hey, come and celebrate with me, for my son was lost. But now he's found. He's a, he was dead and now he's alive. He says, I too was once so lost. But I found my way to God. It's my desire to live for him. And then it says, If you could see where Jesus brought me from to where I am today, then you would know the reason why I love him so. You can take the world, its wealth and its riches, it says here. I don't need earth's powers. It's my desire to live for him. I hope that's your desire as well as mine. Give it a shot here. This working okay? Got it? Okay.
It's my desire 
God, you are so good to us. So good to us, Lord. Forgive us, Lord, for those times when we've latched out at someone, especially those ones we really love. Forgive us for those times, Lord. Help us to stop us before we do that again. We don't want to. We really don't. We want to live for you. We want to be like you. Help us, Lord, in those times. And be with that person today that is struggling in that area that perhaps you've been talking to them about it. And uh, now it's their move. <laughs> you won't not kick down any doors. That's what I like about you, God. You never kick down a door. You just got to wait till we open it and let you in. Maybe someone today right here would like to open the door of their heart. And invite you in. You've been knocking at that door for a long time with some of it. Father. But they uh, just keep on going. But now maybe they're at the place where they say, come on in. For you, my friend, you might want to pray a prayer like this. Just repeat it after me and say, how do I do this? Well, here's how you do it. He sees your heart. You just pray, Lord Jesus, I need you. Thank you for dying on the cross for my sins. Forgive me for those sins. Cleanse me. Cleanse my heart. Make me the kind of person you want me to be. From this day forward, I want to live for you. Can you make that your prayer today, my friend? If so, would you just slip up your hand while everyone else's eyes are closed and looking down? Anyone want to surrender yourself? Oh, praise the Lord. We pray, Father, that you will take each one of us and go with us, Lord. Continue to walk with us. And we just thank you, Father, for a church that is keeping the handle on those conflicts. And for the people that, when they do see something, that you know, that person's not quite right. We can overlook it. We say, hey, we got a ways to go yet ourselves. You're working on us. Thank you, Lord, for that love. We pray, God, that that love just pours out through us to other people who need you more than they need their next breath of air. We ask this name.